I prepared this. One is persistence and the other is faith. And I have to say, I went and saw Marvin at the hospital and we were talking and, and I said, so how did you end up here? My daughter. <laughs> she was persistent. She was persistent and it paid off because now they are able to at least look at what's going on. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 12. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. For which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, we discussed how Jesus warned against formal, hypocritical prayer, and then gave the disciples the model prayer to start their prayer journey. Now, after they're telling them not to be anxious about anything and to be discerning with their judgment, Jesus takes the lesson a step further by teaching them to ask in faith. And it seems simple enough, and to a certain extent it is. Jesus gives three words that speak to the prayer needs being met. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask is just what it says. It's a petition or a question to God, but with the promise that it will be given to you. The verb here in Greek is aitio, to ask with a claim on receipt of an answer, or to ask for or demand. And many of our prayers are petitions to God. They're questions. At least I know mine are. You know, many of us here are parents, and kids learn quickly, I would say, from the first hour or two of life, that if they petition, and this starts as a cry, they will receive something. Generally, they're crying for food or they're uncomfortable. And then as they get older, they realize parents are the conduit for getting many things they want or need in their life. You might say, Mom, can I have some cookies? Or Dad, can I drive the car tonight? And they're questions that call for answers. But as any parent can tell you, the answers are not always simple. I mean, with the cookies, you could say, sure, hon, I'll bring some in to you. Take the cookies. Or you say, no, they're going to spoil your dinner. Or if you're like me, you might make it conditional, or as we say in our house, bribery. As soon as you get done with your homework, you can have a couple cookies. They're all valid answers, but they're all different. And Jesus illustrates in verse 9 through 11, which one of you, if the son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? If you're a parent and the child asks for bread or a cookie, you're not going to give them something terrible if you decide a cookie is okay. But the answer is not always what they want to hear. And in our prayer life, the answer is not always what we want to hear. No child, when asking for something that they want, wants to hear the parent say no, or not right now, even though really those are the best good gift options that we have available to our children. And answering the child with the exact thing they want may not be a good, good gift at all. But you know how kids are, they get laser focused on something. If they ask once for a cookie, all of a sudden that becomes their entire world. I have to have a cookie, I have to have a cookie. 
and they get tunnel vision for what they want. And don't we all sometimes, especially in prayer? But Jesus does tell us to pray expecting an answer. And in James chapter 4, it's expounded upon. You ask something, but you don't get it. You do not have it because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives and you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, that doesn't mean we can't pray for things that we desire, but that as we seek and knock, our desires will align more closely with God's plan for us. And I wonder if there's a study guide available to find out how to align our desires with God's or an instruction manual to understand what God wants for us or to have a better relationship with him. And, and of course there is. It's the Bible. And Jason challenged us a couple weeks ago when he gave his message to spend at least five minutes in the Word, saying that everybody has an extra five minutes. And then Chris talked with us last week about being in the Word, to be discerning in our judgment. But I'm going to challenge you today to actually see how much time we spend on different things in our lives. Maybe to actually journal how much time we spend in our days. How much time on TV, school, video games, work, on these, as compared to in here. Now, for some of you who know me, you know that I've been a lifelong St. Louis Cardinals baseball fan. <clears throat> Lou Brock, Kurt Flood, Veda Pinson, Orlando Cepeda, Julian Javier, Dal Maxville, Mike Shannon, Tim McCarver. That's the starting lineup for the St. Louis Cardinals from 1967. And I still have it memorized because I spent so much time with those people when I was younger. It won't go out of my mind. However, if you ask me to name the books of the Bible in a row, I'm not sure I'd get there. So the question is, you know, it's normal for a kid to do that. But as I mature, I'm not sure that should be the first thing I should be able to recite to you without notes. Do I spend more time on the golf course than I do in God's Word? Or at the gym? I mean, clearly for me, it's not at the gym. But what is important to me? Do I say I love the Lord my God with all my heart and my soul and live it out? Or am I just giving it lip service? And I say that without any judgment, but I imagine if we actually sat down and chronicled our time, that many of us would be surprised by the things we spend time on that don't bring us closer to God. And then when we pray, we wonder why God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want. And trust me, I'm as guilty of that as anyone. Oh, I've had a, such a rough day at work, I just want to lay down and watch mindless TV. Or I need to go to the gym and work out my frustrations. Or I need to, and you can insert your story or excuse here. But we don't learn things by not asking. As a child, we learn that sometimes the answer to a particular question is always no. Can I put my hand on the hot burner? No. Can I put my hand on the hot burner? No. So eventually you stop asking those questions. But sometimes we also learn that the answer is different based on the conditions. Can we go out to dinner tonight might be very different for a lot of folks the day before payday and the day after payday. Same question, different circumstances. So we listen to our parents to gain insight 
on what to ask for and when. Again, we learn by asking, then asking again, and finally, as we mature, as we listen, we ask according to what we perceive our parents' mind to be. In 1 John, we learn that this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. If our petitions, if our prayers to God are according to his will, we have what we have asked for. Keep asking, but study this book. Filter everything in our lives through what's in here. Spend time here and discern what God wants for you and for me. And the next word is seek. And while ask indicates a question or petition, seek indicates more of a search, something that is either lost or has not yet been discovered. The verb here is the teo, and it's trying to find something or to look for something with the possible added sense of urgency, to, vote, to devote serious effort and to realize one's desire or objective. Jesus says, seek and you will find. He doesn't say, seek and you might find, or seek and I'm going to throw roadblocks in your way, or seek and I'm going to give you something that you didn't ask for. Our Lord says, seek and you will find. And personally, I find that very comforting. Minutes before in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has told his disciples to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. He calls on his disciples to seek or quest for a kingdom that's not actually immediately obvious as to what it is. And you can tell through the rest of Jesus' ministry that they really don't know what they're questing for until after Jesus has died on the cross. You know, Jason spoke candidly a couple weeks ago about it being a rough year for him. And then about the Romero family's last six months and, and the trials they have gone through. And how the Romeros have been an example of a strong Christian family. And I agree that all that's true, but I will tell you, I know that both the Helm and the Romero families continue to seek, as God asks. And only by seeking can we actually find. And as Jason and said, and many of us know from our own experiences, it can be frustrating sometimes when we seek. Why are bad things happening to me? I am trying. But in all frustration, we must not stop because the frustration is being placed there by Satan, who's trying to keep us from finding the kingdom of God. God often spoke to the prophets about seeking. From the Psalms, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And from Jeremiah, you will, seek me when you, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And again, that's not conditional. You will find me when you give most of me, give most of your heart to me, when you devote some of your life to me. Just being a Christian, Jesus wants all of us, and he wants all my heart. From Amos, Seek me and live. Do not go to Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. Seek the Lord and live. Now, in today's vernacular, it might sound like this. Seek me and live. Put down your cell phones. No, actually, turn off your cell phones. Turn it off. Turn off the TV. Don't look at pornography. 
And yes, the ad in that magazine you picked up when you put down your cell phone is pornography. Put the magazine down. Seek me. Open this book anywhere. Read it and come to me. You're my child and I love you. Pray to me. Seek me and live. And finally from Isaiah, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Much like the asking process is one of learning how and what to ask, the seeking process is really one of maturing. Tom talked a lot in his sermons about a Christian as being a mature believer or, or maturing in our faith. And it's kind of a sifting up process. As we continue to mature, the seeking becomes a single-minded quest to know God. Seek, and you will find. That's a promise straight from the Savior's mouth. If we will seek to know the Lord and seek his presence and blessing, we will find it. Now, looking for anything can be frustrating. If you're running late for work and you can't find your keys, and while we're really frustrated about not being able to find the keys, what makes us crazy in the, is the impending doom we create in our head. Where are my keys? If I can't find them, I'm going to be late to work. And if I'm late to work, I might get fired. And if I'm fired, I won't be able to provide for my family. If I can't provide for my family, people are going to make fun of me. And on and on and on it goes. But in that situation, we don't stop seeking. In fact, our seeking for the keys becomes even more urgent. Is my seeking of God worth more or less than my keys? Or my job? Or my provision for my family? Because Jesus tells us that God will provide. And is my seeking of God as urgent as other things that I seek? And the only thing is, as far as I can tell you, and this is Amanda bugging Marvin, this is us trying to find God, never, ever give up, because we will find him when we seek him with all of our heart. Now, the third word here is knock. Knock and the door will be open to you. So what does that imply? Well, it implies to me that the door is closed, because if it's open, I don't have to knock. So we all have to face closed doors in our lives. And some we want desperately to open or reopen. We want that. Oh, I really want this girlfriend. I really want this husband. I really want that job. But that's what we want. So we bang on those doors. And we bang. We might even be praying, God, this is the door I want to go through. But it remains closed. Now, if you're a door-to-door -door salesman, and I realize there aren't many of those left. You go up to a door, knock on it, and if nobody answers, you don't stand there and knock again. Nobody still comes, you knock again, and you spend eight hours a day at that house knocking. You don't do that. When you have a door that is not open, you move to the next house, you move to the next door. And sometimes when we pray, we're going to knock at a door 
And God says, it's not time, or that door is to remain closed. In the New Testament, an open door often denotes an opportunity. In Acts 14, it says, On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians that I will stay at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. Now think about that for a minute. Paul was excited that a door had opened and he could see on the other side what was there, many who oppose him. And he walked right through. And Paul again from Colossians, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. In my own life, I've done a lot of knocking. And I'm sure other people have too. And then I find myself surprised when the door opens at what's on the other side. About 10 years ago, I decided I'd like to have my own law firm. Left my job at the public defender's office, opened my own law firm. About eight years ago, I decided to close my own law firm. And while I'm glad to have tried, honestly, financially, it was a disaster. Although I have to say, I did get paid once with a really cool dog that we still have. And so Stacy and I decided I'd go back to the public defenders because while it's not a great deal of pay, it's steady, it's a job I enjoyed, and I was happy there thing was, during those two years I was out of my own firm, is the public defenders didn't just hold my job open for me. So I came back to apply, and they were happy to have me back, but it was at a much lower level than I had left. Certainly understandable. So I started applying for positions within the department, because I wanted to bump back up to where I was and, and provide more for my family. And one job came open. Felony mental health attorney. Well, I'd never had any real interest in either one of those. My expertise had been more in metro court doing DWIs and misdemeanors. So felony was something I wasn't real familiar with. Mental health was something I wasn't really interested in. There was a nice bump in pay. So I applied. And the person who runs that unit came down and said, Chris, do you really want to work with mentally ill patients? Or do you just want the pay raise? And as a good Christian, honest man, I said both, which was half true. And I got the job. Now, if this was a fairy tale or a Hallmark movie, that would kind of be the end. But God opened the door, and I had asked him to open the door. But what God has laid out through that door over the last five years has been unexpected. As with any new job, there are things to learn, and there's tensions from that, and, and you don't really feel at home right away, even though it's still being a lawyer. So I got what I wanted, the bump in pay, but I hated my job. I hated going to work every day. I hated what I did, and because I hated it and I liked to share, I made Stacy miserable, I made Katie miserable, I made the boys miserable. If anyone who came in contact with me, and I think it was about the time we came here, if I was surly to you the first year I was here, I apologize right now. But God stood with me as he always does. He listened to my complaints and my complaining, and there was a lot. 
even though I had gotten what I thought I wanted. And he continued to refocus me, affirming me that I was where he wanted me. Now, I didn't have the trust or faith to believe that right away. But I've never been shy in talking with my clients about my faith, so it wasn't surprising that about four years ago I was in the jail talking to a client who I'm going to call David. And David was a 19-year-old who had been kicked out of mental health court, which I helped run. And so I'd known him for quite a few months already. He was soft-spoken, slight of build, looked almost like any other 19-year-old boy you'd see, except for the red jumpsuit he was wearing and the fact that he is a severe schizophrenic and always will be. So I'm out there talking to David about the new case, about the reason he got kicked out of mental health court, when just out of the blue, he said, do you think my sister's in heaven? Now, I knew David's sister had died, but this question caught me off guard. So with a quick, silent prayer for guidance, I said, well, if your sister accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior, then yes, I believe she's in heaven. And David was happy enough with that answer. And we started to talk about his case again. And as I walked out of the jail that day, it was almost like God tapped me on the shoulder and said, this is what I need you to do. I need you to spread my word to these folks. Since that day, I felt a great comfort as I look for people, mentally ill people and their families that I can share God's word with. That's one of my knocking and going through the doors. Now, circling back to Matthew, when, when Jesus is teaching in verse 7, it takes the form of a command. Grammatically speaking, this is known as the imperative mood. In Greek, commands can be given in two tenses. An aortist tense commands indicate an immediate or single action, like shut the door. The present tense commands carry the idea of continuous or habitual action, always shut the door, or keep shutting the door. Each of the commands in verse 7 are present tense and therefore stress continued persistent action. William Barclay said that verse 7 should read, keep on asking and it will be given you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and it will be open to you. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells the parable of the widow who has been cheated and was seeking justice from the judge who feared neither God or man. But she was persistent. She came back day after day, week after week, and finally the judge relents and says, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she won't eventually wear me out. Now, I'm not saying we should try and harass God until we get what we want. That's not the point of the story. But it is interesting that Jesus begins that parable by telling the disciples that this is going to teach you, and now us, that we should always pray and not lose heart. So as I said, the point's not to try and pester God or be the squeaky wheel, but that to keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking in our prayer lives and the lives that we lead. In verses 9 to 11, Jesus gives us a parable which seems almost kind of silly. It's, which of you, is it, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a snake? 
If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I mean, what do a stone and bread have in common? They, they can be the same shape. A fish and a snake, they have scales. But the point is, when we ask God, he's not going to give us something to be a roadblock to us or to frustrate us if we're asking in alignment with what he wants for us. And honestly, God isn't going to give us good gifts when we trust him. Now, why does Jesus say this? I believe it's because sometimes we're actually afraid to ask for God's will. And that's my faith saying, God, I don't believe that you're good enough to turn everything over to you. I mean, what if in seeking, asking, and knocking, I find out that God has plans for me that make me uncomfortable? Or send me to a place where they don't have running water or, or air conditioning? I mean, what if God's will is to send me as a missionary to Africa? I don't want to go to Africa. That's not what I want. And so sometimes I at least am afraid to pray for God's will because he might actually give it to me. And that's a problem because that's saying, I don't trust you, God. Or even scarier for somebody like Jason giving a sermon on anxiety. Now, I joke about, a little bit about that, but I know that was really hard for him. And I know he, he only did it after lots of prayer, being harassed a lot by James Parrish. But he did it, and it was amazing. Sometimes we don't pray because we really don't know how. And again, read the book. Read the book. I mean, what if I ask for the wrong thing? If I'm a new Christian, what if, what if I don't do it right and God literally gives me what I asked for and it turns out to be the wrong thing? I mean, there's a Greek story about a woman who gets to have her lover, you know, what, what does she want for her lover? And she says, I, I always want him to be with me. But she forgets to ask to have him be the same age. So while she is a god in the Greek mythology, she stays the same. And he gets older and older. And a new Christian, I think, sometimes worries about that. What if I ask for something and it's the wrong thing? Well, I can tell you if you're a new Christian that Jesus tells us that fear is a roadblock for us. Just ask for what you want. And trust that God will answer with what is good for you. And be with him. Discipline yourself to spend time in the word. And if some of you took up the five minutes that Jason told you to spend in the word, I'm going to ask you this week to give five more minutes. And if you already spend two or three hours in the word, I think that's fantastic. Spend five more minutes. Do more. Because the passage concludes with the golden rule. So in everything... And again, I'm going to stop before I finish, in everything. That means when you're having a good day, a bad day, when you have a lot, when you have a little. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. God is good to us. We need to be good to each other. As Chris said last week, be love. You really can't be much more succinct than that. It's a perfect guideline for how we should act. Treat others the way you want to be treated. 
If you wish more people would smile at you, smile at them. You know, if you get to church each Sunday and you wish, boy, I wish people would ask me how I'm doing, start asking other people how they're doing. We're to be the lights. We're supposed to be salty. We should be different as Christians. And even in this building, we should try and be better than we've been. This section in the Sermon on the Mount teaches us to trust in God's goodness by continuing to ask, seek, and knock. And remember that we have God in us in the form of the Holy Spirit to guide us as we do all three. And as we mature in our relationship with God and our faith, our asking and seeking and knocking will more align with God's will. You know, I spoke a little while ago about David and our conversation about his sister being in heaven. And it wasn't the first or last conversation I had with David about faith or God or heaven. And I told you that when he asked about his sister being in heaven, the question threw me. And honestly, it still does to this day. Because the reason David was back in jail was because he had killed his sister. And so... That was towards the end of my awful year when I was miserable, and I walked out of the jail that day, and I, I said earlier, God kind of tapped me, and I lied, because I got in my car, and God had to wrap him, his arms around me because I cried out that I can't do this anymore. I just can't do this. And in the midst of the crying, God wrapped his arms around me and said, you're just where I need you. And in the four years since, there are days when I'm not sure I can do my job anymore. And I know there are many people in the same boat. Too much stress, too little money, and to quote the Rolling Stones, you can't get no satisfaction. But the point of my story is I kept coming back to God, even if it was just to complain, to cry out that I didn't understand. The person I told that to was God, and I kept going here. And as those two things came together, God did show me that I was where I was supposed to be. And each day I'm there, and I have a hard day here, I'm reminded that God opened that door when I asked, but he didn't promise what was on the other side. You know, we've had our 117 days of prayer, and we have the golden bowl prayers in the back. And I have to say, when I take those each week, I'm, I just love reading other people's prayers. And and in case you're wondering, the elders also pray over all those monthly. So every prayer that's there is prayed over. We have a prayer team. We have a prayer room. I mean, first thing I got here this morning, Elizabeth Gross, as she does every Sunday, was walking the church praying. She walked right up to me and said, can I pray for you? We have a revitalized prayer ministry here at FCC. And again, I'm going to ask you to do more. Pray more. Be in God's word more. And then let's live it out in the world around us. During this time of transition, I've seen people step up and do things that are out of their comfort zone. I mean, I almost cried when I saw Jason preaching. They've taken on new responsibilities, and not for their own glory, but because with the transition from Tom to perhaps Braden, Doors have been opened for people who have been knocking. We are being expanded in our faith. We're being matured. And when the new pastor does get here, 
let's continue to knock on doors. We, we, we can't just drop off what we've done on a pastor. That's unfair. We have grown during this transition. And the last thing I would ask is, as Brady gets here, as he preaches, let's not just sit and be consumers of God's word. I mean, that's nice. That, that's good. We're fed with God's word. But let's not just be consumers. Let's be contributors to God's kingdom here on earth. Because that is the golden rule. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for being with me and with all of us when times are troubling. And, and Lord, even when we don't understand, you wrap us in your love and, and you've given us your son as the gift to ask you questions, to be your child, for us to call you daddy and come before you. Lord, I thank you for all that you do in loving us. Amen. Jesus suffered and died 
let's join now for the offering prayer. Heavenly Father, we bring our offerings this morning. We pray that they will be used for the building of your kingdom. For there is so much work to do. Thank you for including us in this work. May we be cheerful. Thank you. Steve, how are you really doing? Nice. Thank you. How are you doing? Wonderful. Good. Good, good. I'll have to get together with you one day for lunch. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so, that'd be nice. That's a good service. I like that. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. It's good to see you as always. And thanks for coming over and getting the hot tub taken care of. Absolutely. <laughs> are you going to be teaching at the next service also? Yes, I'll be at the next service and then I'll be back July 7th. So, nice. And then the 14th is when Brady will be here. And so. Um, We'll probably still do some of the teaching team after he gets here, but not as obviously not as regularly. Right. So you guys are doing a great job. Well, thank you, thank you. Hello. Hi there. Sure. Yes. 
Um, my grandkids currently live in North Carolina. Uh -huh. They're in a very bad situation. I am going to be bringing them to Albuquerque on the 16th of July mm -hmm. for three weeks. One of my grandchildren yesterday told me that she wants very much to be able to stay here, either with me, with her sister, her older sister who lives here. How old is that one? Which one? The one that said they want to stay here? She will be 16 on the 16th of July. Okay. She has a twin, fraternal twin, also will be 16. And um, it's a situation where they have been living in a motel for over six months because mom and her boyfriend Um, what I'm asking for is, do you know of any attorney who might be able to speak to my grandkids and see if there's any way they could stay here with their sister? Can I give you my phone number? Because I don't off the top of my head, but I would be able to find some at work. So. Um, Absolutely. I got to go get my phone fixed. No. I wanted to print something from my phone and all of a sudden all kinds of stuff happened. Sure. Okay. It's 505? Yes. 235-8441. And that's my cell number, so and my name's Chris. Um, okay. C-H-R-I-S. Are you guys doing anything for monitors? Are you in rhythm? FCC. And if I don't answer, leave me a message and I will, I will get, I should be able to look up some people tomorrow, but. Um, okay, and I understand you're busy. I leave for Baltimore to spend time with my son and granddaughter for three weeks. Okay. Uh, he's turning 50 and yeah. once in August, but he wants to celebrate with five of us for the big five Yeah, o. yeah. So um, it's a situation where I had known the situation. The other thing is, their biological father lives in North Carolina. The reason I got custody originally was because mom and dad were drug addicts and alcoholics. Okay. I'm very concerned that my daughter's mother is back into drugs. Right. I can't prove it. They really don't want to live with their father. Right. He's got a girlfriend, he's got a couple of kids, and I don't know that situation. Right. But they want to come back here. This is where they were born, this is where they live. And it's, it's just something that's breaking my heart because if they still lived here, I'd be at court asking for custody. Right. And I want, I'm, and this is not my area of law, but I think you can be emancipated when you're 16, which is why I asked how old she was. Um, but I, let me check because I, I really I don't want to give you any bad information. But I'll get some names to you okay. and people and, to talk and to. I'm in a situation where finances are pretty uh, minimal right well, now. Well, and and, and if I could find an attorney who would accept payments from me, I want the girls. Uh, Charlotte Toulouse was their guardian ad litem, mm -hmm. um, but she said that if I paid for it before they had left the North Carolina, 
that it would be a situation that would be a conflict of interest. Okay. I'd be making the payment. Right. Um, and I, I just, I'm just really, really concerned. Okay. Okay. Well, so, call me and I'll, I'll find some names at least, and then we can at least try okay, and get and you in touch with people. Jane. Jane. Thank you, sir. Pleasure. I enjoyed your sermon. Thank you very much. I appreciate I, it. Thanks for the reminder. I yeah. speak and talk. Well, I needed it myself. Well, <laughs> I need it so often. Yeah. It's something. Yeah. And I do believe I'm where I'm supposed to be yeah. in God's life. Yes. So, well, good. Well, thank I, you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful job. Thank you very and much. Not my ways and your thoughts and not my From thoughts. Isaiah. Is yeah. They're so much higher than our thoughts. I love that in yeah. Isaiah. Yeah, I do too. I love I do that. Too. Thank you. You did a beautiful job. Thank you. So the visitor said so back there got a yeah. and Michelle here. Oh, good. Yeah. Good, good. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, when you live them, they're easy to give. Amazing testimonial on YouTube. It was about this Muslim man who had converted to Christianity from reading Quran. Really? Really. Wow. Amazing. He said that he was reading Quran, and I can't remember exactly what happened, but he said that that. He was questioning and he wasn't getting his answers right there, but he started reading it and, and the, one of the things that happened to him was that, that so he decided to read the whole thing, you know. Yeah. He said, did you know that there, there's a book in the Quran, only woman mentioned in the Bible is Mary, the mother of Jesus, she has her own chapter, she has Miriam. He said that when he read it, he said he counted how many times in the habit his name was in the Bible, I mean the Quran was like meditating. Yeah. Jesus' name was 26 times. Wow. And he said that there's this thing in there that says, you know, if you're reading this and you want more information, you should read the Bible. He actually said that wow. in the Quran, that he should read the Bible. He goes back to his leader and, and he asks them, you know, he's like, who, he said, how, you know, how was the world created? Was it the creation or the creator? And he said, no matter what he answered, it was a trap question. The guy got mad for him out. But he said, he said that he began to be, to realize that the creator, the real creator, and he said the other thing was, he said, if you follow Muhammad, you're Muhammad, you're God's slave. If you follow Christianity, you are the child of God. He said, I'm going to take the child of God. So he said that, that he told his family he was going to be, he, 
the Gucci Gucciani, and they put him in a room and starved him for 20 wow. days. Wow. So then, so then his father came in with a knife to kill him, and he said that the father told him he had a choice to choose, choose, you know, Allah or choose God. Right. So he said when the guy got ready to stab him, he yelled out, Jesus. And he said, the Holy Spirit came on him and flooded him with energy. He was able to push his father off. He, his father got a big knife cut, and the wow. family came in and screamed and yelled and took, ran off with him to take him to the hospital and left the door open. They wow. forgot to lock the door. Wow. So he crawls out of the room with this energy yeah. and gets in a taxi, and the taxi driver happens to be a Christian. Wow. Takes him to a safe place. That's amazing. No, story. that's incredible. And it's and it's the thing is called, you know, a Muslim converts to Christianity by reading the Quran. Wow. He told this one. It's like That's incredible. I thought that is the most amazing story yeah. I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. But he said it's ashes and the land. And I remember being told Muhammad was told by a Christian about Christianity and he went and wrote the Quran. So maybe somewhere along the line it got twisted into somebody else. He didn't actually write the Quran, hmm. some of his disciples. Right. So right. maybe it didn't get quite the way it should have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. That is amazing. Thank you. Oops, excuse me. Downstairs. Right. You look beautiful. Yeah. I'm forward to hearing you.
Yeah. I could not. So just we'll just keep doing what we're doing. And okay. And I'll work. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just tape it on there. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. PD and I have talked. I said, I didn't realize how hard this was for my dad to do sermons or for any other minister to do them. It was like, because you want to kind of get it right, you know, <laughs> and it's just, you go through and you read something somewhere and you think, well, that can't be right. And then you read it two other places and you're like, well, maybe it is. <laughs> so. Thank you. Hey. It's inspiring and thought provoking. That's good. That's a good thing. How are you doing? Hey, good. So, brought a guest, huh? Huh? You brought a guest? Yeah, this time I was hoping to check out the nursery this week. Yeah. How, well, how old is she? She is uh, two and a half. So let me show you where it is. Okay. Actually, I don't remember. I read that right age, so let's take So we will be acoustic again today because the band was the praise band up at middle school camp and all the We've got a, a new child for the nursery. And so
know? I was like, okay, I'm just gonna say it. If we're, you know, if that's what we want to do, I'm gonna just say it. And yeah. you know. Yeah. That's what we want to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let me see if I can hit you on the head with this idea. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, once we feel that we've communicated it, we need to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's actually kind of funny downstairs I was teaching about, uh, we're teaching about like the 99 sheep and the, you know, and it goes and loses the one. Right. Well, he didn't lose the one, but right. just reminded of, of Tim saying, they're sheep, they'll go wherever you tell them to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Valid exactly. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Sure. For, uh, for okay. Good job. Thank you. I was only in for like the last 10 minutes. Thank you. Yeah. Seventy-five bucks. Seventy-five bucks. Seventy-five bucks. Yeah. Um, so I think the prices are actually going to be here this week. Oh, okay. Uh, doing some house hunting. The kids are going to go to CIY with our group. Oh, good. Good. So, That's great. Yeah. So well. And I think, kind of just based on timing, they still want to be here before school starts. Right. But we might delay like his first preaching oh, yeah. Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. So, so whenever. It's yeah. yeah. So I have to see what that looks like. Yep. Yeah. Don't we have a schedule through August? I believe so. Yeah. So I mean, we can get yeah. together and figure it out. And yeah. you know. Even if he doesn't want to preach, he may want to give some guidance as to what he'd like us to start teaching on going forward. He said he already forward. has ideas okay. about how we could go about doing that and then also how we want to communicate it out to the congregation. Yeah, and that's, yeah. So. so I like the way he thinks. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> I do too. Let's work on communication. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah. Yep. All right. Not quite as cool as the yellow robe, but I like your shirt. I heard, I heard. How are you? I'm good. How are you feeling? I'm all right. Yeah. A little tired, but I'm good. As I will explain at the start of my message, you can tell how busy my work week was by how many slides there will be. And this week there will be no slides. <laughs> so, <laughs> but otherwise, I'm good. Hey.
Any new word on the house? I see sale pending still, so anything new? Well, the roof is under insurance claim. Oh, okay. Um, and they still won't. The contractor and, and the state farm still can't agree on the price. Mm -hmm. and we're supposed to close in less than two weeks. Wow. So I don't know what happens if the claim isn't resolved when we close. Yeah. We can close, so I'm a little stressed. But oh, sorry. Thank you. Well, I, I drive by every day to see if it's changed from sale pending to sold or, yeah. you know. Okay, well, we'll keep praying. We'll be, yeah. We'll be closing on the 5th and or delayed a little bit. Okay. But I'm doing what we can, so. Yeah, yeah. Right. All right, good. Yep.
Got two more.
they passed along three of those recipes to a phenomenal candidate, uh, to, the, to the elders. And Brady really kind of rose to the top, right? And so we wouldn't be bringing him out here if we didn't feel that uh, he was going to be a good fit for SBC. So mark it on your calendar. Be here. Make it a point to be here on July 14th because we are really excited for, um, for, for what Brady's going to bring uh, and what he's going to be teaching on that day. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll continue. Father Lord, we just thank you so much for all of your many blessings. We thank you uh, for, for camp, and what a wonderful blessing that is. I know I have a lot of fond memories of, of camp, but Father, those two videos right there, that is that's really what it's all about. Those giving their lives to you, seeking you, taking that step of faith, whether it be in 40 degree water, water or in the nice big Jesus baptism. Father, we rejoice in those commitments. We rejoice in those lives that have been changed. Father, for those that we didn't even see, like the six others uh, that dedicated their lives to you, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. It's wonderful to see the passion, the fire, the joy that these kids bring. Lord, we thank you for, for Brady Bright and his family and just the, the wonderful nature that they, that they bring. Father, we just ask that we continue to seek your wisdom and seek your will and that you guide our next steps. Whether first is the place for Brady or somewhere else is, Lord, we, we're just so excited opportunity to, to have uh, a conversation with him, to sit and chat and for him to come and teach here at first. Father, we just owe so much to you. We can never receive you. So Lord, we pray that our steps, that our faithfulness, that our willingness to step out to honor you. that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now Savior knelt to wash our feet now at his feet we bow the one who wore
fear that held us now gives way to him who is our peace his final breath upon the
is resurrecting me. Good morning. So we're going to do something that we didn't do in first service because I love that first song, Raise a Hallelujah. And so we're going to do that before we get started. I want everybody to think of something good that God has done for them. And I'm going to count to three, and I want you to raise a hallelujah. I want you to say hallelujah. I want you to yell hallelujah. I want you to thank God for what he does for you. One, two, Three. Hallelujah! That's good. That's very good. Um, you know what kind of work week I've had by the amount of slides that are going to be up here. And so this week there'll be no slides. Um, but we will be going over 7, verses 7 to 12, if you would like to get a Bible out. And two words came to mind when I was thinking about that, and they're persistence and trust. And many of you already know on Facebook, and I'm going to embarrass him now, that Marvin was in the hospital for a couple days earlier this week, and um, working on getting him all better. But I went down to talk to him, and so how, how did you get here? And I'm going to try and imitate it, but I think it was something along the lines of my daughter. <laughs> she was persistent in making sure that he got where he needed to be. Matthew 7, 7 to 12. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. For which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask him. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, we discussed how Jesus had warned against formal, hypocritical prayer and then gave the disciples a model prayer to start them on their prayer journey. And now after telling them not to be anxious about anything and to be discerning with their judgment, Jesus takes the lesson a step further by teaching them to ask in faith. And that seems simple enough, and to a certain extent it is. Jesus gives three words that speak to prayer needs being met. Ask, seek, and knock. 
And ask is just what it says it is. It's a question or a petition to God with the promise followed by it will be given to you. Herb, and I probably am not pronouncing this correct, is iteo, which is to ask for with a claim on receipt or to ask for or to demand. And many of our prayers are petitions to God. At least I know mine are. They're questions. Because I want to know. I want to learn. Now many of us here are parents and Kids quickly learn, I would say within an hour or two of being born, that if they petition, and usually initially that takes the form of screaming or crying, that they will get what they need, food or comfort. And then as they get older, they realize that their parents are the conduit to get everything that they want or need. And so as they get older, they might ask questions like, can I have some cookies? Or even older, can I drive the car tonight? Questions that call for answers, but as any parent can tell you, the answers are not always simple. You could tell the child who asked for cookies, sure, you can have the cookies. In fact, I'll bring them to you. Or no, they'll ruin your dinner. Or if you're at my house, you make it conditional, or the word I like better is you bribe them. After you get your homework done, you can have two cookies. They're all valid answers, but they're also all different. And Jesus talks about, in 9 to 11, which one of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Now, if you're going to supply the cookies or whatever to your child, you're not going to give them something else. If you say you'll give your child a cookie, you're not going to give them a, a piece of asparagus. You'll give them the cookie. And again, that seems simple enough. But the answer that we give is not always what the kids hear. And in our prayer life, the answer that God gives us is not always the answer that we want to hear. No child, when asking for something that they want, wants to hear the parent say no, or not right now, even though that really may be the best good option for the child. And giving the child what they ask for every time may not be a good option at all. But you know how kids are. Once they get something in their mind, they get this laser focus. I need a cookie. I have to have a cookie. I must have a cookie. And they just focus on that. And aren't we like that also with our prayers? We get such a tunnel vision when we pray sometimes that we have to have what we want. And Jesus does tell us to pray, expecting an answer. And in James 4, it's further illustrated. You want something but don't get it. You do not have it because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, that doesn't mean we can't pray for things that we desire. But as we seek and knock and get in the word, our desires will more align with God's plan for us. You know, I wonder if there is an instruction manual on how to pray, or to find out what God's desire for us is. And of course there is. And it's the Bible. You know, Jason challenged us a couple weeks ago to spend at least five minutes in the Word, saying we all have at least five minutes. And then Chris talked last week about being in the Word so we can be discerning in our judgment. But I'm going to challenge you today this week to actually spend time focusing on what we spend our time on. Maybe even journal it. 
How much time do we spend on TV, on video games, on these, at work, at school, or in the Word? Now, some of you who know me know I'm a lifelong St. Louis Cardinals baseball fan. And I know that makes me unpopular with a few people here in this church, like Luke, and Todd, and PD. But I am. Lou Brock, Kirk Flood, Veda Pinson, Orlando Cepeda, Julian Javier, Dal Maxwell, Mike Shannon, Tim McCarver. That's the starting lineup from the Cardinals from 1967. And I still know it because I spent so much time with their baseball cards, listening to games. And that's normal for a kid. The problem is that's still there, and I'm not sure I could recite all the books of the Bible in a row. And I'm now 57. Do I spend more time on the golf course than I do in God's Word? Or at the gym? I mean, clearly for me it's not the gym. Golf course is a possibility. The point is, what's important to me? Do I say I love the Lord my God with all my heart and all my soul and then live that out? Or do I just give it lip service? And I say that without any judgment, but I imagine if we actually chronicled how we spend our time, we'd be surprised on how many things we spend that don't draw us closer to God. And then we wonder why God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want to. But we don't learn things if we don't ask. As a child, we, we learned that the answer depends on particular circumstances. Sometimes the answer is always no. Can I put my hand on the hot stove? No. Can I put my hand on the hot stove? No. And eventually we stop asking that question because our parents asking us no. But sometimes the answer is traditional. For instance, if I ask my parents, can we go out to dinner the day before they get paid? The answer might be different than the day after they get paid. So we learn to listen to our parents to gain insight on what to ask for and when to ask for it. And then we learn by asking again and again and again and at some point, hopefully, our questions will align with what our parents want for us. And it's the same thing with our prayer life. In 1 John, we read, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. That's kind of amazing but it has to be according to his will and not mine. Keep asking, but keep studying this book. Filter everything that we do through the instructions that's here. Spend time here and discern what it is that God wants for you. So the next word is seek. And while ask indicates a question or a petition, seek indicates more of a search or a journey that is either lost or not yet discovered. And there are definitions that says that search is trying to find something, looking with a possible added sense of urgency, serious effort to realize one's desire or objective. Jesus says, seek and you will find. He doesn't say, seek and maybe you'll find, seek and I'll put roadblocks in your way, seek and I'm going to make things terrible for you. He says, seek and you will find. And personally, I find that really comforting. 
You know, minutes before in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had told his disciples, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So he calls his disciples to seek, to go on a quest for a kingdom and righteousness that really aren't visible. And you can tell over the the rest of his ministry, until he is resurrected, the disciples have no idea generally what he's talking about. They can't see the kingdom. We get the benefit of the whole story. You know, Jason spoke candidly a couple weeks ago about it being a rough year for him and then it being a rough six months for the Romeros and how the Romeros have been a strong Christian family. And and I agree with all of that, but I will tell you, I know for a fact the Helm family and the Romero family are seeking. And sometimes that's all we can do is seek. And as Jason said, many of us know from our own experiences, it can be frustrating when we seek. I'm trying, I'm doing good, why is this happening to me? But in all frustration, we can't stop. Because the frustration is Satan trying to keep us from the kingdom of God. God spoke to the prophets in the Old Testament about seeking. From the Psalms, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And from Jeremiah, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And again, we skip over some of these words, but all your heart, not part of our heart, not, well, I've got to do these things and then I'll get around to you, God. You will seek and find me when you give all your heart. When we give our lives to Christ, that's a commitment. It's not a half-hearted commitment. We are to give all our heart to Christ. From Amos, seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. Seek the Lord and live. Now, in today's vernacular, that reads, seek me and live. Put down your cell phones. Actually, put it down. Turn it off. Turn off the TV. Don't look at pornography. And that magazine you picked up, the ad right there, that's pornographic, and you know it is. Put that magazine down. Seek me. Open this book up. Read me anywhere. Come to me, my child. Seek me and live. And finally, from Isaiah, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts much like the asking process is is one of learning how and what and when to ask the seeking process is one of maturing and Tom used to talk about maturing as a Christian or or being a mature Christian and it's kind of a a sifting up so to speak as we continue to mature and we continue to spend time in the word we become more laser focused with a single-minded quest to know God Seek and you will find. It's a promise straight from the Savior's mouth. If we will seek to know the Lord and seek his presence and blessing, we will find it. And looking for anything can be frustrating. I know Jason talked some about this, but if I'm running late for work and I can't find my keys, where are my keys? And that's frustrating enough, but then what happens is what Jason talked about. We start making things up in our mind. If I can't find my keys, I'm going to be late for work. 
And if I'm late for work, I'm going to get yelled at. I might even get fired, and I can't provide for my family. And if I can't provide for my family, nobody's going to be able to eat, and people make fun of me, and we just go down this rabbit hole. But in reality, if that happens, we don't stop looking for the keys. We look with a greater sense of urgency for those keys. The impending doom that we have made up in our head makes us act with more fervor and urgency. So is my seeking of God worth more or less than my keys, or the job I have, or even my provision for my family? Because Jesus tells us that God will provide. And more importantly, is my seeking after God as urgent as the other things I seek? All I can say is we can never, ever give up. We can never let Satan stop our seeking for God because we will find him when we seek him with all our heart. So the third word is knock. Knock and the door will be open to you. So what's implied by that? Well, the door is closed. We don't really need to knock if the door is open. We just walk right in. But it implies that the door is closed. And I know we've all faced closed doors in our lives, some that we want desperately to open or reopen. I need to have that person as my spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend. That's what I need. I need this job. I want this car. But the door is closed. And so we bang on them and bang on them, and we get frustrated when they don't open, not remembering that it's not what I want, but what God wants. For instance, if you're a door-to-door -door salesman, and I realize those are fairly rare these days, you wouldn't go out to the first house and knock on a door. Nobody answers. Wait a few minutes, you knock on the same door. Nobody answers. Knock on the same door. You spend your eight-hour day in front of a house with a closed door. If you want to be successful, you would go from door to door. When we knock in our prayer life, after seeking and asking, we need to be ready to move from a door that is not opening to another door to see which one God will open for us. In the New Testament, doors, an open door often denotes an opportunity. In the book of Acts, it says, on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, but I will stay at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. Now think about that for a second. Paul says, I have to stay here because there's an open door, and I see what's on the other side, and it's people who actively oppose me. And he walks right through it. And again, Paul from Colossians says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Even in chains, he proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, in my own life, I've had plenty of knocking, as I'm sure most of us have, and I'm often surprised by what lies on the other side. So about 10 years ago, I decided I'd like to try having my own law firm. And I did. And about eight years ago, I closed my own law firm. But I have to say, I did get a really cool dog out there as a payment, so that's good. Honesty, it was a financial disaster. 
I had left the public defender's office, and Stacy and I talked, and we decided I'd go back to the public defender's office, because I had been happy there. I enjoyed the work. I enjoyed the people. Now, stunningly, when I went back to the public defender's office, they hadn't waited two years to fill the position I'd been in, and so back at a much lower position. But I was able to go back. I started praying, God, allow me to move, so to speak, back up the chain. Allow me to provide better for my family. And I applied for different positions. And I didn't get them, and I didn't get them. And I kept praying, and I kept applying. And then a position opened up in the felony mental health unit. Well, neither one of those parts sounded really attractive to me. I like doing misdemeanors. I like being in Metro Court. It's a nicer courthouse. I know everybody there. That's my comfort zone. And I really didn't want to deal with mental health clients because I just didn't want to. But it would be a nice bump in pay. So I applied. And the head of the unit came down, and he and I worked together for a long time. He said, you really want to work with mental health felony clients? You just want the pay raise. And being a good preacher's kid and a good Christian man, I said both, which was half true. <laughs> and I got the job. And if this was a fairy tale or a Hallmark movie, that would be the end of the story. But while God opened the door to what I thought I wanted, what God has laid out on the other side has been unexpected. With any new job, new position in a company, you have new things you have to learn. So there are those tensions that go along with moving, even if it's changing offices or changing clients or whatever, that makes for an uncomfortableness. Well, I got the bump in pay that I wanted, but I found myself hating my job. I was miserable. And because I like to share, Stacy was miserable, Katie was miserable, the boys were miserable, Pretty sure the dogs knew something was wrong. And that was about the time we started coming here. So if I was made anybody here miserable like the first year I was here, I apologize. I'm going to blame my job. But you know, God stood with me as he always does. And he listened to my complaints and complaining, which were nearly constant. And he continued to refocus. And there was a small voice from God saying, you're where you're supposed to be. You know, I've never been shy about talking to clients about my faith. So it wasn't surprising that I was at the jail about four and a half years ago talking to a client who I'll call David. And David was 19 at the time, kicked out of mental health court, which I helped run. So I'd known him for a few months. Um, Soft-spoken, slight build, looked almost like any other 19-year-old you'll find, except for the red jumpsuit he was wearing and that he is, and always will be, severely schizophrenic. So David and I were talking about his new case, which was the reason he got kicked out of mental health court. And out of nowhere, he said, do you think my sister's in heaven? Now, I knew David's sister had died because we had talked, but this question caught me off guard. So with a quick, silent prayer for guidance, I said that if she had accepted Jesus as her savior, yes, she was in heaven. And that seemed to make David happy enough, and we once again went back to talking about his case. As I walked out of jail that day, it was almost as if God tapped me on the shoulder and said, 
I opened that door for you so that you could spread the message to this group of people. Since that day, I felt great comfort and direction in looking for opportunities to spread God's word to mentally ill clients and their families and friends. Now, circling back to Matthew 7, when Jesus is teaching in verse 7, it takes the form of a command. He's not saying anything as a question. He's saying, ask, and it will be given you. Grammatically speaking, this is known as the imperative mood. And in Greek, commands can be given in two tenses. Aortus tense commands indicate an immediate single action, such as shut the door. Present tense commands carry the idea of continuous or habitual action. Always shut the door. Keep on shutting the door. And each of the commandments in verse 7 are the present tense, and therefore stress continuous, persistent action. William Barclay said that verse 7 should actually read, keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and it will be opened to you. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells the parable of the widow who's been cheated and was seeking justice from the judge who feared neither God nor man, and she was persistent. Day after day she came, week after week she came, and finally the judge relents and says, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she won't eventually wear me out. Now, I'm not saying you should try and harass God to get what you want, but it's interesting that at the beginning, Jesus tells this parable to teach his disciples, now us, that we should always pray and never lose heart. So again, the point is to not try to pester God or be the squeaky wheel, but that to keep asking, seeking, and knocking in the prayer lives that we lead. In verse 9 through 11, Jesus talks about which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. I mean, what do a stone and bread have in common? I mean, they can be the same shape. Snake and fish both have scales. But the point is, when we ask, God isn't going to give him something useless or something that frustrates us to where we won't keep asking. He will give good gifts, and we can trust him. But why does Jesus say this? And I believe it's because sometimes we're really afraid to pray for God's will in our lives. It's easy for me to pray for what I want and then be mad because I don't get it. But to pray for what God wants for me is scary. And honestly, it's disheartening because when I think about it, I don't trust that God is good and I don't have the faith to step out into the water like I should. But I mean, in all honesty, what if my knocking and asking and seeking leads me to somewhere uncomfortable for me where they don't have air conditioning or running water? I mean, what if God's plan for me is to be a missionary in Africa? I, I don't want to go to Africa. Or even scarier, what if he says, give a sermon on anxiety? Now, I joke, but I know that was a big deal for Jason. And after a lot of prayer and harassment from James, that he it was fantastic. And it was God-inspired. And it was things that we've gotten to hear in Sunday school and the kids have gotten to hear in youth group that needed to be shared with everyone. And sometimes we don't pray because we don't know how. Here's an instruction manual. Look at it. 
All you have to do, read the book. And sometimes as new Christians, we're afraid that we'll pray wrong and God will actually give us what we ask for. And then we'll be stuck with that. And that's just not the case. Jesus tells us that our fear is a roadblock to faith. This helps remove that fear. Just ask for what you want and trust God to answer you with what is good for you. And be with him. Discipline yourself for the five minutes in the word that Jason asked. And if you've already done that, start doing five more. And if you spend two or three hours a day in the Word, that's fantastic. Do We can always spend more time with God. The passage here concludes with the golden rule. So in everything, and again, kind of like all your heart, in everything, when I'm feeling good, when I'm feeling bad, when I have plenty, when I don't have plenty, when I don't feel good physically, when I feel fantastic physically, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. God is good to us. Be good to each other. As Chris said last week, be love. It's a perfect guideline for how we should act towards each other and how we should live. Treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Would you like to have more people smile at you? Smile at them. Would you like to come to church and have people ask how your week was? Walk in next week and find somebody and ask how their week was. We are to be lights. We're to be salty. We're to be different as Christians. Even in this building, we should be different. But when we walk out that door, people should say, there is something different about the way they live. This section in the Sermon on the Mount teaches us to trust in God's goodness by continuing to ask, seek, and knock. And remember that we have God in us in the form of the Holy Spirit to guide us as we do so. And as we mature in our faith and our relationship with God, our asking, our seeking, and our knocking will more align with God's will. I spoke a little while ago about David and our conversation about his sister being in heaven wasn't the first or last conversation David and I had about God and heaven and faith. And I told you, though, that his question about his sister threw me off a little bit. And the reason it did, and honestly still does, is because David was back in jail because he had killed his sister. And so when I walked out of jail that day and I felt God touching me, I wasn't being completely honest because it wasn't a tap on my shoulder because I went out of jail that day and I cried and I threw my arms up in the car out at MDC and I said, God, I can't do this anymore. I just can't do this. And God wrapped his arms around me in that car and he said, you're where I need you. In the four years since, there are days when I'm not sure I can do the job anymore. I know there are many people out there in the same boat too much stress, too little money, and to quote the Rolling Stone, I can't get no satisfaction. It's hard some days. But the point of my story and the point of all of our stories is I kept coming back to God, even if it was just to yell that I didn't understand. And I kept reading even though I didn't understand. And I kept complaining. And all of a sudden, as I kept reading, 
my complaining stopped a little bit and I realized that I was where God wanted me. And I think if we will continue to dig into the word to make this the focus of our lives and not this and not other things, we will find that our alignment, our contentment will mature. You know, we've had 117 days of prayer. We've had the golden bowls, and we still have those. And I have to say, when I've taken prayers from those and pray over them, I am just amazed at some of the things people want and are asking for. And I will tell you, the elders over all the prayers that are still there every month. So everything that is being requested to be prayed over is being prayed over. And it's such an honor to see the questions. We have a prayer team, a prayer room. And I had something wonderful this morning. For those of you who don't know, Elizabeth walks this building every Sunday morning to pray over the church. When I walked in this morning, she walked right up to me and said, can I pray for you? It's one of the nicest things I've had happen to me in a long time. We have a revitalized prayer ministry here. And much like the time, I would tell you, if you've upped your prayer game, do more. Pray more. Be in God's word more. And then live it out in the world around us. During this time of transition, I've seen people step up and do things that are out of their comfort zone. Mention Jason. Chris, I don't know how uncomfortable that was for you. Fantastic. Stepping up in ways that you can't even imagine. People doing things that make them uncomfortable, but they've been knocking and God has opened doors. And they're not doing it for personal glory, but because the transition from Tom to possibly Brady, doors have been open for people. And when Brady gets here, let's continue to knock on doors. Let's continue to expand our prayer life and live it for God's glory through FCC. And if I can say also, let's not just be consumers of God's word. I mean, I know sometimes it's nice to just sit out there and be fed. But if you analyze that or analogize that with food, you can't just keep eating. You have to get up and do. So let's not just be consumers of God's word. Let's, when Brady gets here, show him that we are contributors to God's kingdom here on earth. Because, folks, that really is the golden rule. Father God, thank you for your word. And thank you for the great gifts you do give us. May, may we keep asking and seeking you and knocking at your door, and may we do it with all our heart, because, Lord, you have given everything for us. May we return by giving everything to you. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.